0: Well, my earlier reference to Bob Seger was uh, foreshadowing, I'm yes. afraid.
1: Welcome to The Books We Love, the podcast of the Detroit Public Library. Today we are talking about the media made in Michigan that we love. The books, the movies, the music, set in Michigan, made by Michiganders, It's going to be a great episode. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk all things mitten today.
2: And for you non-Michiganders, the mitten is just a reference to our mitten state shape, our lower peninsula here in Michigan.
1: We love we love to see our state in media. It makes us feel seen and special, and like we own it, and other people don't. And what um,
2: other state has two peninsulas? Not to toot our own horn, but
1: Wonka Wonka. We have two peninsulas, <laughs> and one of them looks like a hand. So the other Sorry. one looks like a sideways stretched out rabbit. Yeah. So who else has that? Nobody. Um, speaking of Media Made in Michigan, our special guest today is Andrew Collard. He came out with his book of poetry, Sprawl, earlier this year. It's mm-hmm. about Detroit and the Metro mm-hmm. Detroit area. It's also it has other themes going on in it, like single parenthood is a big theme in that. Andrew's a professor at Grand Valley State University, and he came all the way out here to talk with us about our favorite Michigan things. And if you stay tuned until the end of the episode, he reads one of his poems for us, which is very cool. Uh, If you want to learn more about Andrew's writing, you can go to andrewcollar.com. We also own a copy of Sprawl here at the library, so you can feel free to come check it out. If you are into poetry or you want to try some poetry, it's cool because you will recognize some of the places in the poems. Mm -hmm.
2: It's a really great collection of poetry check it out
1: you'll feel seen and special
2: and we're also joined with repeating returning guest elizabeth who works here in the uh community engagement office with olivia yep we love her and i
1: think that's That's about it away we go away we go So everyone has picked two things, either made in Michigan, set in Michigan, or created by a Michigander to recommend today. Am I right? Yes. Everyone did their homework? Okay. So we'll all go round robin and we'll each do one that we want to recommend and then we'll do our second one. Sound good? Sounds good. Who wants to go first?
3: Okay. The first one I picked is a very Potter musical, which was filmed and Made and created at the University of Michigan. Get out. By all of the yeah little drama kids at U of M. Tell me everything. So it is basically a bunch of probably drunk college kids at U of M Uh decided to write a musical parody of Harry Potter. And it is the most magnificent thing. It was like they did it just for fun and then they uploaded it to YouTube and it actually became like. An international sensation, and actually, the guy Mm -hmm. who plays Harry Potter is Darren Chris, who went on to like be in Glee. Glee. Yeah, he's now like you know, pretty famous for a guy who started singing songs about Harry Potter.
2: Yeah, wow, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know he was from Michigan or went to University of Michigan. Oh, when
3: he got cast in Glee. I was the most obnoxious hipster about it because oh, right. I had already known him right. from a very potter musical. So I was like, Oh my gosh, my boyfriend Darren Chris. <laughs> there is something like feeling ownership
1: over things that were created in the state where you were born. Like, yeah, I get to like that more than any of you mm-hmm.
3: online. I get yeah, like a pride as yeah. if I helped write yeah. a Harry Potter musical, which I did not. <laughs> You vibed it, but at yeah, them I know. was like, I supported them. I gave them views on YouTube, so I'm partially responsible for sure. Darren Chris's success. Yeah. You should
2: get a cut of his paychecks.
3: I should. You've oh. been a fan since the beginning. I will be having my people contact his people. For we'll sure. talk about
2: it at the next Darren <laughs> Chris fan club meeting. Oh,
3: good. So, if this is a Harry Potter musical,
1: is it? Does it follow the story of the Harry Potter books, or is it like fan
3: fiction? A little bit of both. Okay. It kind of, I say parody because it kind of is like, you know, making fun of Harry Potter a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, Dumbledore walks in and he's like, oh, we love Gryffindors, Slytherins are evil, the other two houses I don't care about, like, and there's <laughs> like lots of jokes like that, and then there are certain things that like, yeah, the people like the guys who wrote it just kind of like made up, like they have a whole song about how Hermione can't draw in the sequel. And it's just like, so now it's like in my brain, I'm just like, yeah, well, we all know Hermione can't draw, uh-huh. but that's not. It's an inside K. joke. J.K. Rowling never <laughs> made that canon. Or like they talk about Hufflepuffs since they have nothing okay going for them. I'm a Hufflepuff, Me so too. I'm with you. Oh. It's But we can take pride in the fact that we are particularly good finders. That's a good pick. Elizabeth. Thank you. I like that. It's homegrown. Yes. That's very local. I love that. It's I almost went to U of M for no reason other than
2: What? That's because love. I
3: was like, Oh, if I wear the merch of like U of M, I'm repping Very Potter musical or like Star Kid. They went on to make a whole bunch of other musicals and stuff that are also pretty good. But That's
1: really cool. So if people wanted to watch it, where would they find it?
3: YouTube. Okay. And I think the soundtrack is like on Spotify. I'm and, ready. Uh, I also have, th- I kind of want to mention I have three things, but
2: one yeah, is just I a know. quick. I
1: bought more than more. One's than just like a quick. <laughs> we like can I do like a sentence. rapid fire. Oh, you want to do that first? Or we I've, could do our rapid fire honorable mentions at the end. Oh, that could be fun. Oh. She wants to do it now, stressed. people. You can do it now. Mm. The only rules
2: are ain't no rules. Okay. I like the no rules. Okay. Two things. One is super quick. Did you guys ever listen to Sufjan Stevens?
1: Yeah. Ah,
2: uh, you would like him, okay? I think so. Sufjan Stevens actually has an album called Michigan, the Great Lake State. Oh,
3: wonderful! And
2: it's a really fun song. So when, we, when you started talking in my head when we were talking about being from Michigan, Michiganders, whatever, I started hearing that one song where he's just in the background. You hear Michigan, Michigan. <laughs> Do you know what song I'm talking that's about? Yeah, like and that's a really movie. good pick. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> no, it's so good. No, Michigan, Michigan, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. Um. So, that's just awful. So anyway, that was my toss out. One thing that just came to mind. That's I a good one.
1: And I feel that one because I remember, I think I list started listening to him because there was a Michigan album and I was like, mm-hmm. I like Michigan stuff. Yeah. See, I
2: found him when I lived in Massachusetts and my friend was like, you know, he has a whole album called Michigan and I was like, Wah. and then I started to listen to it. And then I did. I felt that thing. I was like, so I have an album about my state. You're from Pennsylvania <laughs> to my friend at the time. Not that there's anything wrong with Pennsylvania. Um, okay. So I have two books today. I'll start with my first one. I'm going to start with kids first because I'm a children's librarian. Andrew, you probably don't know this about me. Um, Patricia Polacco is a prolific kids, um, kids, um, author and illustrator. Um, fun thing about her, which I actually learned in doing some research for this today was one of her first books, if not her first book is called Thank You, Mr. Falker. And, um, It's autobiographical, even though we keep Mm -hmm. it with our picture books. Anyway, she's a Michigander. And when she was a kiddo, uh, she had uh, dyslexia, but they didn't know what it was back then. They just thought she didn't know how to read. And when she was in fifth grade, uh, she got picked on all the time. Um, the other kids were really mean to her because she couldn't read in class. When she was in fifth grade, she found a teacher that saw how gifted she was as an artist. He took the time to make her feel really special. She finally was able to navigate learning how to read. And then of course that teacher's experience working with her was what was kind of the, um, The push that she needed to take her art more serious as she got older. So, of course, she became this wonderful writer and illustrator of children's books. And I think she's probably got 30 or 40 kids' books. Cool thing a lot of people don't know, you see her on the shelf, she writes a lot of older kids' books. A lot of kids' picture books are shorter. They're intended for usually like three to seven uh, she does a lot of showing, I'm opening the book and showing everybody the yeah. um, paragraphs in here, which is not a standard for picture books. She does a lot of picture books that um, teachers of older elementary students use. So second through fourth, I've even seen them used in fifth grade. She also covers some serious topics in her picture book. She has one that has Abraham Lincoln in it. She has one book that has uh, the main character, Kiddo, has two moms. So that's something that's a little bit um, becoming more mainstream now. But when she wrote that, it was less so. She has um, some that talk about racism, about bullies, things like that. So she is a fantastic contemporary author. She just published... Um, I just pulled it up. She just published a new book called The Palace of Books. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's based on her experiences going to the library when she was a kid. Wonderful. And it features a Michigan Library on the cover.
1: She's been writing for a while because I think I read those when yeah. I was a kid. I think she started writing
2: in the 80s. Yeah. This one says 1998, so maybe later than I thought. But. I love these
1: illustrations. Have you read this, Andrew?
0: I have never read it, but like... Now I feel like I want to simply because uh, like I have a Mm -hmm. Mm nine-year-old and uh, he's a very good reader, but he still is like intimidated, I think, by like chapter books a little bit. Like he can do it, you know, and he's done it, but uh, he's looking kind of for something like this of like the density of that, you know, where it's like, oh, there are still pictures which are fun. And then Mm -hmm. you still get like a substantial sort of like read, read out of it.
2: And the thing is, when you compare the amount of text in books like Patricia Polacco's picture books with certain kids' chapter books, like Bad Guys, where it's almost more like comic-y, there's probably more words in that than Bad Guys, which is considered a chapter book. So yeah. poetry's good, too, for the kiddos that are kind of intimidated, which you probably already know
1: this, <laughs> intimidated by yeah. the stuff. I'm that saying this sense. for our non-poetry writing listeners. Right. <laughs> for my first pick, I picked M-Train by Patti Smith. Uh, many of you will know who Patti Smith is. Do you know who Patty?
3: Smith yeah, is? Yeah. Uh, of course you love do. Love Patti Smith.
1: Um, she is, for, for those who don't know who she is, she's a musician, and she's mostly known for her 1975 album Horses and her life in New York City. So she isn't immediately thought of as like a Michigan person. She's a New York City person, but... She did live in St. Clair Shores for a while, um, most of the 80s, actually, with her husband, Fred Sonic Smith, who was the guitarist for the MC5, which is a very Michigan band, so she has that connection. And she writes about him quite a bit in M-Train, and she writes about her time in St. Clair Shores. And I thought I would read um, a little bit from the book so you can kind of get a sense of her voice. So this is from M-Train. We lived in an old stone country house in a canal that emptied into the St. Clair River. There were no cafes within walking distance. My one respite was the coffee machine at 7-Eleven. On Saturday morning, I would rise early and walk a quarter mile to 7-Eleven and get a large black coffee and a glazed donut. Then I would stop at the lot behind the fish and tackle store, a simple whitewashed cement outpost. To me, it looked like Tangier, though I'd never been there. I sat on the ground in the corner, surrounded by low white walls, shelving real-time, free to rove the smooth bridge connecting past and present. My Morocco. I followed whatever train I wanted. I wrote without writing, of genies and hustlers and mythic travelers, my vagabondia. Then I would walk back home happily satisfied and resume my daily tasks. Even now, having at last been to Tangier, my spot behind the bait store seems the true Morocco in my memory. Michigan, those were mystical times, an era of small pleasures." So I thought that was kind of a good distillation of her voice in the book. It's very poetic, very erudite, but she's also pretty funny. Like she writes about yeah. in this kind of like whimsical, self-deprecating way. And M-Train is really about her fixations. So she just moves from fixation to fixation. So she'll talk about her time in St. Clair Shores. Then she'll talk about this like crazy trip that she took with her husband to, um, to some person's grave. She loves famous people's grave. I don't know. I just love that. I love enthusiastic people and mm-hmm. I love people who write in this sort of authentic way. Like they're not really trying to impress you, but they
3: just like language. That and is kind of magical. Oh, I like magical. that. It, the funny thing about when you were reading that passage is it's something about when I know something was, like you said, like in Michigan, like I, you know, live kind of close to St. Clair Shores, but not, you know, it's not like I frequent there, but even just her saying, oh, I go and I, you know, would go to 7-Eleven. I'm like, I go to Seven yeah, Eleven in Michigan too. too, so maybe we went to the same Seven Eleven, and you so it's totally like it is like that weird ownership where I'm like, yeah, me mm-hmm. and Patty Smith like frequent the same. That's <laughs> so fun. Seven Eleven, but so you're saying she
2: talks a lot about things that she, things that she likes, right? Yeah. You ever think as an adult sometimes, like remember when you were a kid and you could very easily just list things. If people asked you like, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? You ever like, when did that magic die in adults? Like kid I feel like everything is so complicated. When you're a kid, you're like, my favorite animal is a unicorn. My favorite color is blue, but it's like that blue that's like purpley blue. And as adults, somebody <laughs> asked you, like, God, I don't know, khaki? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like you're almost beige. looking for validation. Like, did I say the right, right. thing? Is that so the I don't right thing? Like a sociopath? Yes. How come that goes away? And maybe that's part of the magic, Olivia, is that we just don't do that so much anymore as adults. Like,
3: yeah. I feel like we're not given as much opportunity. Like how often, I feel like, yeah, when you talk to a kid, it's, you only have so many questions you can ask them. You can't ask them about how they did on their taxes last year. So it's like, what's your favorite color? I don't know. So they're used to that, like, yeah, kind of repetitive questioning, but it's like, that's not something I ask. Well, I do know all of my friends' favorite colors, but... Good We're friend. weird adults. So I
2: watched this graduation speech recently. It was like one of those ones that was so touching that it was shared all over social media. And this girl was graduating from, I think, her undergrad. And she had survived a really traumatic accident. And then she couldn't walk. She could barely speak. And she came back from it. And she wound up being a speaker at her college graduation. And she was talking about how we get defined a lot by what we do. And not who we are as people. So I think that's really interesting yeah. too. Like, you know, when you meet people at a party, how do you describe yourself to other people? I remember in my 20s, it's like, oh, yeah, I have this job. But like on the weekends, I love to do this. And yeah, my friends and I do this. And now as an adult, when you meet people, it's like, I know one of the first questions I ask people as an icebreaker is just like, well, so what do you do for work? Yeah. Because... That's like the easiest, least, of, least offensive thing you could ask someone well, that's Well, it takes up so much of
1: your time.
2: So yeah. it's like, yeah, yes. what are you
3: doing for eight hours a day, just five days sad. a week when but, you're not trying to sleep on the weekends? Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's the thing about M-Train. When, and, um, it's helping me realize, too, why I like this book so much and why I like memoirs written by women who just spend a lot of time by themselves mm-hmm. and just kind of chronicle, like, going to the coffee shop, then going to, you know— than, like, spending New Year's with their cats, which she literally does in this book. It's not a joke. Like, she, Oh, I loved. that. It sounds I like I could
2: it. 100% get behind that.
1: And I think this is when she's older, her kids are grown, her husband died, and she's just, like, on her own. She's just, like, has a lot of time, like you said, just to think and mm-hmm. to just kind of choose and make all of these choices about what she does throughout the day rather than, like, having her schedule be so busy
3: that it's yeah. Sort of Picked for her, mm-hmm. I love that. That's that's the dream. It's the dream. <laughs> it's the dream. That I'd long say, yeah, year you, dream is to have your husband die and oh, your yeah. kids grown and out of the house, but like a little bit.
1: Okay, I'm gonna I read one more thing. Have that kids. That.
3: <laughs> that's. I mean, that's yeah. That's ultimately, the I goal love button. children. By the way, <laughs>
1: listen to the sad thing she said, and then Andrew gets to pick. Okay, uh, we want things we cannot have. We seek to reclaim a certain moment, sound, sensation. I want to hear my mother's voice. I want to see my children as children. Hands small, feet swift. Everything changes. Boy grown, father dead, daughter taller than me, weeping from a bad dream. Please stay forever, I say to the things I know. Don't go. Don't grow. Oh, my oh.
2: God. Are you trying to wreck us in the that afternoon? hurt.
1: So beautiful. I
2: will say that's the thing. My dad passed away when I was 20, just shy of 27. And that is, I've told my husband this so many times because he, I didn't meet my husband until after my dad was already gone by several years. I'm like, man, the thing that you miss them, at least for me that I miss the most is the sound of his voice. And I have no video. I had one voicemail. And then when I switched phones, (gasps) I lost it. So it's like one of those things. So when she says that it's true, you, you start to forget the sound of someone's voice and like, especially, oh, when kids grow up, my best friend has this thing. I think I've said this on the podcast before her kids are now in, um, almost done with middle school and college. And my brother's kids are middle school down to kindergarten. And she said to, said to them recently, because my youngest niece is in kindergarten, you know, they start, they don't want to sit in your lap as much. And all these moments, like you push them on the swing still and maybe you've experienced this as a parent, Andrew, but she said to them, um, enjoy every time they ask you to do certain things because you don't actually know when it's going to be the last time that they sit on your lap, the last time they want you to push them on the swing. And then all of a sudden, like six months later, you're like, or a year later, you're like, wow, she doesn't go on the swing set anymore. She, They never sit on my lap anymore. And just that idea yeah. of just One of the
3: time. most haunting things I ever read is one day you're, Parents picked you up and put you down for the last time yes. and never oh picked God. you up again. When I read that, I ran to my mom and I jumped into her arms <laughs> and tried to make her hold me. <laughs> and she way. couldn't. And I was like, Mom, you need to hold me again.
2: I'm what just going to sit from? down on I the couch. I'm just going to climb on you.
3: <laughs> Basically, yeah, it was like we need to yeah, recreate this. I don't know. I think I just saw it was like going... Oh really? Kind of all over the internet. So was I'm it? It that. was Tom Lake, I think. Which is oh, okay. In, can I
1: can I sneak in my honorable mention? Yes. yes. Which is Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. If you haven't read that yet, oh. it's the most a beautiful, beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And it's Anne Patchett is from Tennessee. She's not from Michigan, but the book is set in Traverse City on a cherry farm, and it's um, a summer stock acting group. You've read it, Amanda, right? I have. Oh, that's right. Because we're going to take an acting class. It starts tomorrow. I hope you've signed up.
2: It starts tomorrow.
1: After work, we have to work late so we can drive over there together. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> when did we decide all Clear this? Clear your, schedule? I your mean, plans. I decided a long time ago. I just didn't
2: communicate
1: it to you. Oh. I can't go by myself. My husband
2: shy. made me choose between the acting class and the patio. I would really like at our house next summer, and patios are expensive. P.S. Okay. Really expensive. We'll talk about this. Later. We'll talk about it's this not later. Fight in front of the kids. Yeah, so <laughs> you guys are Sorry. tearing this family apart. <laughs>
1: Kids, look what's that! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, your turn.
0: Well, now, now I'm like, uh, it, it bothers my narrative brain, like that I can't decide when my last, like, whatever is basically, you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. you could say, oh, you don't even know when your last, like, hamburger that you eat, or, you know, oh. just like any little thing like that, you don't, you don't know, and you don't get control over it, and I think that, like. Yeah. It's horrifying <laughs> to a certain part of my brain, and I try to overcome it. Yeah, you uh, want there
1: to be like a ceremony or something that you can yeah. do.
0: Uh, I feel
2: like that's why when people go full vegan, they talk about it a lot. How they don't eat meat anymore, and I think it's because they miss it and they want to remember that last burger.
3: Yeah, that a <laughs> lot of
2: really intense conversations with vegans.
0: Clearly, you see what I value in my Obviously. choice of example there. But
2: I'm a deep person, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> look up. deep, deep well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I almost don't even want to talk about other things now, basically, because one thing that that Patty Smith passed the second one reminded me of is that um, you know that Robert Frost poem directive
2: mm, yes uh,
0: it's like directions back into childhood in a way and so eventually you're led back to the playthings in the playhouse of the children mm-hmm. he says weep for what little things could make them glad mm. I think of that oh. often you Andrew know, what do you second. pick so I've been listening to a lot of Michigan music because that's part of my current writing project oh cool part of that is very much just old school Motown. So one of my like sort of like private projects or like little side projects is listening to all of the sixties Motown LPs to see which one I like best because everybody knows the singles. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the Motown LPs like, obviously these are coming out before the like album era Mm -hmm. and, um, A lot of them are like, okay, well, here's our two big singles. And then like, here are covers of other Motown songs (laughs) or like things like that. Um, The one that I picked is Dance Party by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, which is 1965. Mm -hmm. It was kind of part of a wave of like dance albums coming out at the time, like Smokey Robinson and the Miracles had one right at the same period. This is like right as the albums are starting to be like albums the reason that I picked it is because these are all ostensibly like love songs or dance songs or like party songs. Like there's a song called motor which is like about driving around in the car, mm-hmm. looking for trouble as it were, or uh, they do a uh, hitchhike, which is associated with Marvin Gaye usually. Um, but like part of what I love about those old Motown songs is how they're all these like little worlds and I mean, they sound like it too, because of the echo that they put on it and everything <laughs> just like so distinctive, but uh, you sort of can't take the world out of the songs uh, to some extent. I'm thinking of things like at the beginning of uh, Good Morning Vietnam, they play Nowhere to Run by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas yes. over that one section. And that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense on a level that's not just like, here's historically what's happening yeah. at the time, you know? Um, And you can read a lot of their songs from that period that way. And that's kind of like what I want to (laughs) do in writing poems right now. Um, So I'm kind of learning from that Mm -hmm. a little bit. And they all just like, they rule too. Like, you know, they're like fun to listen to, um, even as they're, honestly, I think there's some like heavy subtext in some of these things. Um, So this is an album that has a lot of the big hits on it. Like um, it's got uh, Dancing in the Street. It's got... Mm -hmm nowhere to run uh it's got one called wild one which is my current favorite that's in the genre of girl group songs that's like i, I, I love someone girls. i'm not supposed to mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe i can change their mind but it, like it doesn't matter <laughs> you know like um which itself i mean you can see right away where that i mean i phrased it that way on purpose but <laughs> it's like you can see already the sort of resonance of that beyond just like i have a crush but yeah. like, also, I have a crush, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and have so, you heard
2: this song about this person with a crush? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> like and it a, rules. <laughs> but they were so wholesome though, right? Like, yeah. They exist in a like crush. a,
0: they're made to exist in a public space. Yes. And there is more than just like what's acceptable for the public place sort of buried in there, I think. Yeah. Mm. So that's why I, that's why I picked it.
2: Good pick. That was really good. Very nice. I like that one. Now Shall I want to do like an thing? honorable mention of Stevie Wonder because I love Stevie Yeah, Wonder. I know. He's I would have picked Stevie favorites. Wonder too, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you know that Stevie Wonder was actually born in Saginaw? I did not know that. Oh, I didn't
1: know that.
2: And he's only two years older than my parents. So when he first came out, you probably know this, Andrew, if you like Motown, he was called Little Stevie. That's so cute. Which is adorable because my dad had that record and he said he listened to him when he was a kid. And if Stevie Wonder was like two years older than him and he started when he was what, like nine, eight or nine?
0: Yeah, I mean, he had his first like number one hit with that fingertip song. I think yeah. he was like 12 or 13. It's not bananas. So my parents Jeez literally please. would have been like
2: 10 years old. So that's just, can you imagine how cool that would have been? That's really cool. Round where two. We, my turn. Round yeah, two, right. two for Elizabeth.
3: Okay. My other Michigan favorite is called The Incredible Dr. Pole. It is <gasps> a television show. It's this vet. He's like right by central Michigan, which is where I went to school. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. And he just is this brilliant, adorable older man, and he just gets the most delightful animals that come see him to, you know, get checked out because he's a vet, Mm -hmm. and he goes and he does farm visits, so he's always, I almost said something really gross, he's almost, he's always elbow deep in a cow. In a cow. In a cow. Every time...
2: I don't think you need to clarify it by saying in a cow. In a cow. <laughs>
3: He's always <laughs> elbow deep in a cow. It's wildly upsetting. Stop making that noise. It's so gross. He
1: is. And then he has the long
2: the plastic glove. Okay, yep. we don't need to act it out. I've seen it happen. It's not It's not pleasant.
1: Did everyone see that? Yeah. I worked, is- I worked on a dairy farm, and the vet one
2: day, I was talking to him. All of a sudden, I looked over, and all I saw was his shoulder. And I was yep. like,
3: I got to go. And the way they all do it with such... Just so calm. That's what I
2: love about those shows.
3: It's magnificent. Also, you
2: have to stay calm because if you tense up, you're going to mess stuff up in there. That's very
1: true. Please cut this.
3: No, no. That's what we like about it. We like the
0: clear-eyed
1: scientific handling of it. Yep. So my, I had no idea he was in Michigan
3: for one
2: thing. Wait, is is this a real show or is this like a... No,
3: it's a real... Oh, it's like like a
2: documentary kind of show. Yeah,
3: they just... And it's like... It's not... I hope Dr. Pole doesn't listen to this, because this is going to sound like a critique, and I swear it isn't. It's not glamorous. The, like, little shack that he works out of is, like, got pictures of his grandkids on the wall and, like, hasn't been dusted in 20 years. How can you watch the show? What is this on? Just, like, it's called
2: Dr. Pole,
3: Incredible Dr. Pole. The way he, like, yells at a puppy is so adorable, because he's, like, from the Netherlands or something. Yes. So he's just got this brilliant accent and he's just like hey you mr puppy stop doing that and it's so cute
2: (laughs) that sounds so european (laughs) hey you mr puppy stop doing that
3: (laughs) gross and the things that they like yes gross show yeah yeah so it's oh my gosh it's magnificent i highly recommend everyone watches it and but don't eat while you watch it because it's gross that's good advice so yeah that's my dr pole dr pole dr pole he's an icon of the ages Perfect.
2: I have too many things to talk about. So we're doing an honorable mention. Yeah, we'll do a wrap after we're all done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. So I brought uh, a book of poetry by Thomas Lynch. Have you heard of Thomas Lynch? You've heard. Yeah, you're shaking your head. Yes. He came and actually did a reading when I worked at, or uh, when I went to OU. I think I worked as an usher at his show. So Thomas Lynch is a uh, poet. I think he's also technically an essayist. Mm Um, but he is also a uh, funeral director and he works at his family's funeral home in um, Milford. Obviously a very interesting take on life when you experience death so frequently. And of course, that works its way into a lot of his poetry. This particular book is called Still Life in Milford. Poetry to me is like certain songs. It's like you could read the same poem 15 years apart and get something vastly different from it, depending on where you're at in life. And I think I was going through some grieving um, over like a major change in my life at the time. So I think reading something that by someone that had this perspective was very helpful.
1: That's a great one. It's a good one. I like his um the undertaking,
2: oh, which they mentioned that right there on the cover, author of the undertaking.
1: It has such a good first line, which is every year I bury a couple hundred of my townspeople, but I don't think I've ever really read any of his poetry. I will say his um nephew buried my grandmother, which was interesting. They had like wow. I was sitting in the funeral home, and um it was Patty Lynch, I think, and he was he was going on and on and um I looked. On the wall, and there was like a whole thing on Thomas Lynch and all of his writing and everything. It oh, cool. yeah. was cool. When
2: my uncle passed away, I went and helped set up the funeral with my aunt, and uh, it was at the one in Milford. And in the funeral director's office, it wasn't him. It was one of his siblings, I think we dealt with, our nephews. Um, they had some of his books on the bookshelf, and I was like, oh, I've read those books. And they're like, yeah, that's um, so-and-so. I forget how they were related to him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a real local college. one. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting too.
1: Okay, so the one I picked next was "Standing in the Shadows of Motown," which is a 2002 documentary about the Funk Brothers, mm-hmm. which were they were the studio band which backed up basically all of the great Motown hits, like the singles that we love so much. The documentary covers the history of the band. There's archival footage of them playing at uh, Studio A. And they interview the surviving band members at the time. And then one of the best parts is they do performances of some of their biggest hits. So you can see like Chaka Khan, Joan Osborne, Bootsy Collins, and Ben Harper all sing the songs. And you Fun. see them. Have you seen it?
3: I haven't. Oh, you're going to Oh, I'm so it. excited.
1: It's so good. And you watch it and you're like, how is this band not like a household name? They just did everything. They say in the documentary that they produced more hits than the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, and Elvis Presley combined. Wow! Amazing. They worked with the Temptations, the Supremes, the Miracles, the Four Tops, the Gladys Knight, and the Pips, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, and many, many more. And then the coolest thing is after you watch it, it's just this really uplifting movie, and the song. Obviously, the music is so good, and the interviews are so lovely. Like the band members are so charismatic and fun to watch. And then after you watch it, you can go to the Motown Museum and you can actually see where everything was recorded. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, that was in the movie. And that's like this cool, cool part, which is what I did years and years ago. And I want to do it again. So
2: let's go. Have you guys been to the Motown Museum yet, downtown? You have. So did you hear that they just got, I think, some, I want to say national funding, a grant, something that gave them enough money that they're going to actually be able to expand and. I can't. Their wait. blueprint's going to be ginormous when it's done because right now it's small. It's someone's house from the 40s or something. It's an old house in Detroit that they converted into the museum. It's where they recorded. You can go in. I went like 15 years ago and you still used to be able to put on some headphones and pretend you were singing at the same microphone stand as all these famous people. You could see the piano that Stevie Wonder played at, all this fun stuff. But do you guys ever feel like some of that magic is going to be lost when they make it into this giant sized museum? Yeah. Because well, it used to be, they used to, to own
0: most of that block, though, yeah. is the other thing. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, there are like different kinds of offices and stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if it's going to be like Maybe they can incorporate remaking some buildings. of that stuff or yeah. if it's going to be. So I don't know. I, I don't think it'll lose anything necessarily. I just, just the idea of going there as long as they keep that studio yeah, intact, studio. it's yeah. like, cause there's something about that to be like, wow, look at all this stuff that was made in a basement in yeah. Detroit, you know, like yeah. 20 minutes from where I lived my whole life or whatever, you yeah. know, yeah. uh, that's the thing that does it for me. And I'm also partial to like, um, in the very museum-y part, that's sort of like upstairs, they have like a little opening to the attic. So you can kind of like shout up there and like that's that's where they would run the tracks through to put reverb on them because they didn't have an echo chamber (laughs) so it's like the sound of that house is like on those songs you know that's
3: amazing
2: Andrew it's your turn to go around again
0: well I've been listening to this Bob Seger album called Nine Tonight which is a uh, live album and of course like he became he kind of shot to stardom after a long period of like toiling Uh, with a live album, which is Live Bullet. And so that's like his like, okay, uh, I'm really like hungry album and like, you know, fighting his way to the top kind of thing. This one is five years later and he's just had like seven top 20 songs and then his first number one album and has written not only Night Moves, but like five different versions of Night Moves, which are called other things like Against (laughs) the Wind and all these other songs. Um, and one of those songs is called brave strangers, which is really what I want to talk about and recommend. And it wasn't even on the original recording of this live album. It was the B side to the single off of it, but they like appended it later on to like add it on to the end. And it's like, it's the same kind of story it's like you know here are two people who are young and like finding themselves together kind of a situation but it feels like a little more vulnerable than the other ones it's like there's something more there than simply nostalgia I guess but he recorded this particular recording is from Detroit like it's Kobo and I kind of love the um it's kind of like what we were saying in the intro a little bit or earlier on, he he makes like these little references to the Detroit crowd, you know, and they go nuts. Like there's this big slowdown sort of in the middle of the song, Van Morrison style, where the saxophone comes in, you know? Hell yeah. (laughs) And and he like is kind of hamming it up a little bit. And that's like the two kids in the car, like sort of encounter in the middle of the song where it slows Mm -hmm. down. He's talking about like, particularly it's not just a moon in the sky it's like a southern michigan moon mm. that's flying high and everybody's like yeah and it's like and if, it, if it can't get any better than that like the next one is like he's like hiding out in the back seat with a couple six packs of strohs yeah. and then everyone's yes. like yes beer <laughs> we know that one you know um and it's, it, and it is funny to think about like, oh, what that does that you like know that thing. And mm-hmm. like, you can, in that case, know exactly the spot in the city where it comes from, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like something like that, you know, it's like, it points to these intersections. There are all these intersections that people who are from this region mm-hmm. can relate to specifically. I was thinking about that with that Patty Smith example again, too, where it's like, if you are right about like going to Seven Eleven, it could be LA or something like I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of like Campbell McGrath has poems about Seven Eleven. Mm. um but is there a tackle fish and tackle, tackle. tackle kind of store behind <laughs> it <Right. laughs> or like you know there are those kind of things that are like little tells in a way mm-hmm. um I just think it's interesting it's a great song that's my favorite Bob Seger song probably. Bob Seeker's
1: such a good pick too like so my mom, she was born in Detroit and she grew up in this, she lived here her whole life. And she often talks about going to see Bob Seger at the airport. He would do free concerts there. And so she and her friends oh, would cool. like go to the airport and um, just go see him perform for free. And that's like, you when she talks about it, she just has this like giddy feeling because he did, he did like care about this area. And yeah, he does put it in his songs and stuff because it makes you feel seen, Yeah, yeah you know?
2: And it's even cooler to be called out on something that you share with someone that's famous, right? Yeah.
1: What's
3: well, like the, what what's the Journey song? They say Born, born and Raised in South Detroit. Everybody, Everybody sings screams. it. I was and thinking that too. And that's like, <laughs> if, like I always wonder, because that's obviously like a very popular, very famous song. But do other people, like in other places, they don't sing.
1: No, probably not. Born and
3: Raised in South Detroit with the same passion that we do.
1: No, yeah. definitely not.
2: No. Also is it really a wedding in Michigan if you don't play that song by Jeremy? It's not it's, it's not, not legally
1: real. sanctioned. <laughs> no.
2: I actually don't think we played that at our wedding and I'm I found out our wedding's not we're not even legally yeah, married. You guys yeah, we're married. <laughs> Straight up living in That's, sin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm pretty seven. sure there's some kind of rule about that in baseball games, too. That's why yes. they stopped the Little League games, right. like, about inning five to blast it out.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of um, baseball games, one of my honorable mentions was going to be the White Stripes, White Blood Cells. I have very fond memories of getting that CD for Christmas, and I, like, got the CD, and I was looking through it. I didn't pick it because who doesn't already like the White Like, if you're going to like the White Stripes, you probably already like them.
2: I thought you were going to do a shout out to the Detroit Lions, who for the first time in my entire life are doing well. Are they? Yeah. them. We're going to the Super Bowl this year. I'm calling it right now.
1: Wow. The cool cool thing about the White Stripes is, though, that he, did you know that he made furniture in his youth? That was like one of his first jobs, Jack White. And he wrote poetry and put it in the furniture. So you might have like an old couch with Jack White poetry in it. That is, is that worth rip open money? your couches, so cool. people.
2: <laughs> take, for the kids that might be listening teenagers, take a razor blade and go to your parents' mom and <laughs> your parents' couch and just cut it off. Just rip it up for yeah, uh, the initials important. JW.
1: Okay, any other one? any others? There's
2: a bunch of Detroit I mean, poets uh, we didn't talk about. It's yeah. true,
0: yeah, and that's what I, I uh, I was like debating.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, is Philip Levine from Michigan? Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, my God, yeah, I yeah. Love Philip Levine. Um, Philip Levine, uh, Theodore Rothke, uh, that's from Saginaw. Yeah. Um, uh, Hayden, Robert Hayden. Um, Those Winter Sundays is the poem that goes around online a lot, but um, Detroit poet going way back. Um, More contemporarily, Jamal May um, has two amazing books. Uh, Matthew Olsman has three amazing books. Um, Francine J. Harris's Allegiance is one that I've been talking about kind of a lot just because... I think reading that one back, man, it must have been 10 years ago now, Yeah, uh, was one of the first times I think I ever, like, saw myself in poems in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. There's, there's so much good. <laughs> there's yeah. so many good poets in If Michigan.
1: you think maybe, if it's been a while since you've read poetry or you think you don't like it or you have a hard time finding poetry that you like, I always recommend Matthew Olsman. He brings in observations from the real world. He brings in pop culture references. And he's funny, which is really, really tricky, I think, in poetry to be funny without being trite. And he's able to do both of those things. So that's a good, like, I feel like reading poems, but I don't know who to try, Matthew Olsman. And he's from Michigan. So. Well, this is a really good segue to talk about Andrew's book, which yeah. we will talk about in the intro, too. Yes. Um, but is there anything you want to say about the book yourself?
0: I mean, it's about being here. The sprawl of the title is uh, the sprawl of the of Southeast Michigan, so city on city on city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's meant... To, the first poem's called Diorama, and it's meant to sort of... Um, point out the uh, usefulness of sort of miniatures or making models in uh, as a way of sort of uh, helping elucidate complicated relationships because all of these places that we live among are related to each other, all of the people in certain ways. Um, and so it's kind of trying to capture that.
2: Can you read Crawling Backwards? That's the one that I liked the best the other day.
0: Crawling Backwards. Once you carved your name onto the steeple of your childhood church, it calls to you as if you own it. Your prayers read like a list of the space program's disasters. You're a curtain raised halfway, a moth intent on catching fire here in the backyard of the house that you were born in, where the spider hatchlings spill across the window frame and the cats are buried in an unmarked grave. Where the guest room's nightlight is shaped like a crucifix, the room you used to call your own. A room devoid of chatterphones, slinkies, and stuffed bears, replaced now by a shroud. A place you can't remember what country your grandmother was born in, only that it's somewhere hot and that she's too dead now to tell you. A place to start the map all over to find out where the birds went.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Yes. Yes, thank you very, very much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for being here. Thank it was a really you.
2: Thank I, I, wow. I know. We Bumpy Kid. T- we didn't talk about this
1: Thank you for listening to the books we loved a podcast through the troy public library you can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast if you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion please email us at podcast at troypl.org thank you for listening and happy reading